Is that any better or no? It sounds fine to me. Okay. You didn't say that. Yeah, it's going to normalize some of this when I put it through the production process. So as long as you're audible enough and your signal's clean, it'll be fine. It'll boost things up. Well, good. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully this time I can key out the green without also keying out your eyes. <laughs> It'd be pretty funny if my eyes turn green this time. Just, you know, the technology clearly exists and it only exists to annoy you. That is how I feel about most technologies, if we're being honest. This is not a particularly good week for me in technology. There were a lot of fights. <laughs> I mostly lost them. I was that was going to be my next question, but I didn't really feel like the question needed to be asked. Well, I did win one kind of battle. Something locked up with my router on Sunday morning and yeah. suddenly the Internet was gone as far as the home was concerned. And so bad? it's bad when the kids are like watching their various shows on streaming and the locally cached information runs out. So then the streaming turns into screaming. Yeah. So a, a quick reset of the router fixed the problem. But then one TV was being super weird. It would connect to the wireless, but it would only get an IP address some of the time. And then the communication wasn't real solid. And what I eventually figured out was whatever happened with the router caused one of my access points to sort of flake out. And so my TV was trying to talk to the much further away access point. And because the signal wasn't particularly strong, it was exhibiting really strange behavior. So I had to fix the access point, which, again, a simple reset was all it needed. How about that? I turned it off and, and I turned it on again. God damn it. A friend of mine had to get a, a refrigerator fixed. And not a smart refrigerator, mind you, just the old fashioned kind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The one that you, you know, it's a sealed box that keeps food cold. Yes. Main problem being that at this point in time, said box was not keeping said food cold. That is a serious problem. So a trouble ticket was opened or whatever they call them in the normal world. <laughs> and I swear to God, this is true. Do you know what they told him? To unplug the refrigerator and plug it back in? And turn did it, it work? And turn it back on again. <laughs> but did it work? No. Okay. You know, it was funnier if you didn't have to ask the idiotic follow-up question. And we could have just well, let it, we it, just let it hang. People no. could sit there in silent wonderment and curiosity, but no. Our Every single person listening to the podcast would be screaming, well, did it work? And I just, I have to be the voice of the audience in that case and, and speak what they cannot to you in Listen, real time. First of all, you and I both know that Dave is not a screamer. <laughs> That's true. He, he's a whisperer. It would have been more like a, a polite letter emailed. I mean, mail mailed, snail mailed, snail mailed, probably calligraphy. <laughs> he does have that ink pot. Maybe a small hand-done sketch. Hmm. An emotive one, you know? Yes. Describing the feelings. He's good about that. 
Well, I look forward to receiving that letter, but I guess I won't now because I asked the question. And I hope you're happy. That's on me. Hello, alleged human, and welcome to the Chaos Lever podcast. My name is Ned, and I'm definitely not a robot. I, too, gaze up at the spring night sky, bewildered by the beauty of our lunar satellite, and feel myself filled with an eerie calm and, dare I say, hope for tomorrow. It's not because my CPU is pegged, making me prone to manic hallucinations. Who ever heard of such a thing? With me is Chris and a stuffed penguin named Leo hanging in front of my field of vision, radiating peace and serenity. Hello, Leo. Hello, Chris. Hello, System Fault. I think we should just let Leo do the show. (laughs) He is exuding a, a strange confidence along with all the peace and serenity. So I do appreciate that. And also, he's waving a gun around, which makes me feel like we should listen real close. (laughs) You're not wrong. He he is. He's prone to go uh, to fly off the handle or uh, off the ice flow, as they say. Because penguins can't can't fly. No, no. (laughs) Off of handles. He swims off the handle, swims off the ice flow. Yeah. Okay. Oh, good. I'm glad we we landed on an episode title so early on in the recording. That's that's going to that's going to pay dividends later. Um, So you wrote a freaking novel. I did uh, not. I wrote a you... short story with sort of a happy ending. OK, maybe a novella. Can we can we agree on that? I'll accept, although I will tell you that as I was writing this, I had to cut it in half. This is the easy half. If I were to have continued, I would have gotten into the more difficult and technical half. I see. And since you don't really understand any of that, it's probably best that you don't put it in for posterity. What's a computer? (laughs) (sighs) No, but. But what's a. Computer. Oh, oh, you're asking. It's a person who adds numbers and subtracts them. This is not the year 1930. (laughs) Says you. All right, let's talk about the thing that you wrote a short novella about. Okay. I want to tell a true, well, true enough story of one company's adventure in almost going bankrupt because of malware. So there are two competing initiatives that business leaders have to grapple with when it comes to IT security. And stop me if you've heard this one before. The first one is getting hacked. I'm ignoring you completely for the next 20 minutes. Excellent. The first one is getting hacked would be bad and we don't want that to happen. And the second is this security stuff sounds expensive and we don't want to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And this can be especially true for things that on their face seem redundant. Too often To business leaders, the whole concept of defense in depth can be deemed wasteful if that leadership thinks that the outside security is, quote, good enough. Yeah. Thus, we have the the hard candy shell with the soft, gooey interior that is all of your user data. Exactly. And for the past infinity years, that's exactly what we did. That was where you had your physical walls, and you had your virtual walls. The physical walls are made of concrete. The virtual walls are made of firewalls. 
Were those also made of concrete? Only the ones from Arista. Zing. Um, anyway, security strategy and architecture has since moved on. Now, we've talked this concept to death on this show, and in our defense, we are not alone. Everything I just said can easily and snottily be prefixed with, well, everybody knows that fill in the blank. Right. Something, something, micro-segmentation, something, something, zero trust. That'll be $50,000. Yeah, but that can be a little condescending. Yeah, that's one word for it. And it occurs to me that one of the reasons that this might not be a helpful way of going about it, aside from the condescension aspect, mm-hmm. is people might not understand why a multifaceted approach to security is essential. So I says to myself, I says, why not tell a real story from history of a company that got hit by some malware and the consequences of that attack and how defense in-depth strategies would have saved their bacon? Yeah, we certainly hear these stories in a more general sense, but it's very seldom from someone who was personally involved in the process and saw it firsthand. And I think that hearing that story is going to bring really bring it home in a way that the more general marketing that you get from all the security vendors does not. Right. And one of the things that I hope will come across when we talk about this is that there is no such thing as one single magic pill. You cannot buy one product to have all of your problems solved. Voting me president will not make all your dreams come true. Or any of them. For example. <laughs> so, disclaimers. One, the story I'm about to describe is a real thing that more or less happened. I was definitely involved, and that is as far as I'm going to take that. I have generalized the crap out of this story to eliminate all specifically identifying details. No, I will not tell you who it was. Ned, for God's sake, stop asking. And finally, unfortunately, this story is not a unique one. I guarantee that a close variation of this has happened tens of thousands of times all over the world, and that's just this week. Yep. So just because you think you know who I'm talking about doesn't mean you know who I'm talking about, but you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking Uh, about? uh, Let's just begin. What am I talking about? Only Leo knows. (laughs) okay so june 23rd 2019 a 38 year old caucasian male advertising executive named francis nunnery from baltimore wait a minute hey that's weird so let's well we'll cut that in post right uh yes i do that all the time okay so let's tell a story about a person in a company And the person we're going to focus on, we'll call him Steve. Steve Dave? It's actually Steve Steve. (laughs) Oh, okay. Like Mario Mario? Exactly. Okay. Well done. Steve worked for a company in their IT department. Steve got a phishing email that purported to be from a supplier asking a question about a recent order. Said email included a link. I guess what happened next? I think I know. 
our man Steve went ahead and clicked the link. Oh, Steve. His web browser did some weird things, sat and spun for a moment. His computer got a little hinky. And then an error came up telling him that there was a problem and to try again later. Steve wrote a mental note for himself to try again later and just moved on with his life. Like you do. Like you do. Mm -hmm. Needless to say, (laughs) that was unwise. And that link was, in fact, connected to malware. Ooh. Now, Steve's computer was infected with malware. Which is the beginning, but not (laughs) devastating yet. Correct. But before we go further, and I want to do this a couple of times as we go through, just some of the thoughts in terms of things that count as security in depth that would have helped ameliorate and or eliminate this from happening. Mm -hmm. Number one, easy one, user education. If Steve had been given even basic regular security training, he would have been less inclined to click on that link, or he would have investigated the email further, or he would have had it just something in the back of his head rang a bell and he just deleted. Now, it is true that overdosing on user training is not helpful. In fact, that is counterproductive. That has been shown. But it has also been shown that giving zero training gives zero protection. Ah. Number two, a link scanning service of some kind. The link that Steve clicked on, in retrospect, was an obvious bad address. It was not even one of those clever things where you think you're going to Rite Aid and you're going to write A1D. Yep, yep. Uh, This was an overseas URL, which did not make any sense based on the vendor that the email was purporting to be from. Local businesses generally don't order from company name redacted. (laughs) But probably from Russia. Steve missed it. The other point is every modern major email provider offers some kind of basic link scanning service. Had one been employed, the email and that link would have been flagged as malicious and put into some type of quarantine. In fact, he might never have seen that email. Correct. And I don't want to go down the, 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 the path of the different products that exist, but any of them would have helped the situation <laughs> as opposed right. to what happened, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So whatever. He didn't know not to click on it. He ended up clicking on the bad link. Number three, DNS security. Let's say you didn't have link scanning in email. Okay, fine. There could have been DNS-based security at the router. In this case, this is an easy one. Like I said, the link went overseas. There's no way it makes sense for Steve's computer to be going to, country name redacted, from a work PC. None. This is something that can be easily prevented, and this is something that can be prevented for free using router rules. If that had been the case, and Steve had clicked on the link, it would have thrown a 404 page not found, or some other kind of routing-based error. And again, no malware makes it to the computer. Right. And finally, for this initial area of, um, what do we call it, unfortunateness? (laughs) Right. 
user accounts that had too much permission to do things. Here's one that users hate, <laughs> but is quickly becoming a security necessity. Users, such as Steve, should not be allowed to install anything, period. No executables that are not on the approved whitelist. No scripts, no macros, no nothing. In this case, there was no device security, so that was the problem in and of itself. But Steve was an IT person, so even if there was, there is totally the possibility that Steve could have granted himself exceptions to this rule because he, quote, knew better. Does that sound like anyone you've ever met in your life? It does. It actually sounds like two distinct categories of people that I found at companies. Now, the first one is kind of obvious because you've already mentioned it. It's IT admins. And they think they know better and that they can give themselves special permissions on their machines. I am just as guilty as any other IT person of doing this. I agree. It is you. Do you know who the other group of individuals are? Your children. Hmm. Not yet, but maybe in the future. Corporate executives, specifically anyone in the C-suite. VIPs, as it were. Yes, they often demand having any kind of privileges they want on their computer, and they want access to everything in the organization, which makes them uh, doubly dangerous. Right, for similar reasons. Mm -hmm. Now, and to be fair, in both cases, I've seen this trend on the downward slope, but it definitely still happens. And it really, really shouldn't. Because one of the things about security of any kind, defense in depth or otherwise, consistency matters. Whatever the rules are, is what the rules are. Right. Now try telling that to the person who writes your paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> so that's step one. Let's move on through the timeline mm -hmm. to the next phase or the next episode. Nothing. Nope, nope, I'm not going there. Fair enough. Anyway, Steve, in fact, forgot about the email and the link he clicked on. Remember that mental note? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Maybe he should have made it a note note. <laughs> More like a nope, am I right? Aha, no. So the malware that he unintentionally installed on his computer started probing the local co computer and his account for information. Now, we have to do a little speculation here. It is likely that this probing started to happen after hours so that the activity wouldn't be noticed by Steve working on his computer, seeing weird things flash on the screen, terrible performance, etc. Mm -hmm. We don't know this for sure because, spoiler alert, one of the things the malware did was delete every single log file it could find anywhere at every step of the process. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like malware. One thing we know for sure is that it found Steve's passwords, which were stored in his browser. These were easily accessed by the malware because passwords in the browser are protected by, Ned, nothing. Oh, that's not good. The malware was logged in as Steve's legitimate account. Mm -hmm. So that was good enough for Chrome. <sighs> so, yeah. Maybe using a password manager is a good idea. That's not Chrome. Don't um, don't read ahead. How about that? H how about I didn't have to? <laughs> <laughs> so some additional security and security in depth concepts that would have helped here. Number one, and probably one of the more annoying ones. Mm -hmm. 
Whatever endpoint protection they had in place did not include behavioral mapping. Modern endpoint protection tools do more than just check executables for virus fingerprints. The concepts of EDR and XDR exist specifically to watch systems and user accounts for not virus fingerprints, but virus-like behavior. Right. Now, these can get annoying, expensive, and complicated, especially in the setup phase, but they Mm -hmm. exist precisely for these kinds of situations. You have system observation software that goes, hey, so um, like... Steve doesn't usually run deep NMAP scans of our internal networks from his work PC at two in the morning. Do we think that might be a problem? Yeah. That is not the kind of question that Norton Antivirus is ever going to ask. No, you need to upgrade to something a, a little more robust. Yes. Your logs should be exported to a read-only location. Now, this is one that, again, can be done for pay or for free, should you have the expertise or you know people that can do it. But in either case, it is very rarely done. Logs for everything should be sent off system for recording and analysis. The system they are sent to should be read only, meaning that they get to write the log one time, and that's it. It is now forever immutable. Right. This way, had this been done, The best thing an attacker could do is stop the logs from being sent. But the system would have logs of that happening right up until the command was entered. Right. So ideally 2A, similarly, those logs that are stored are monitored and analyzed and alerts are sent if, say, for example, logs all of a sudden stop being sent at all. Mm -hmm. That could be construed as a problem. Now, you could get way into the weeds with this, with like scanning for the logs to look for specific commands or behaviors. But like I said, I don't want to get that far down the product line. The point is, logs that are deleted are not logs that you can use in uh, retrospect to try to reconfigure or uh, reconstruct everything that happened. Password managers, people. The point right here is why having them in the browser isn't good enough. Storing passwords in the browser has to be considered a convenience. And it is better than nothing. But using an external password manager, one that is ideally protected by MFA, is security. Yeah, so just pick something that isn't LastPass. <laughs> I think we did a number of things about that, so I'm not going to I'm not going to dwell. Yeah, it's probably not worth harping on that one any more than we already have. So a lot of what we talked about to this point is either user or user workstation focused, which if you look at the numbers is really, it makes sense. The numbers show that as of 2022, something like 90% of breaches are caused by some kind of human error, most of which is in the categories of lost credentials and phishing. Yep. Sound familiar to anything I've been talking about thus far? Uh, Only slightly. Yeah. Now, I don't want to understate the technology and the importance of keeping your systems patched. Um, CSV vulnerabilities are obviously bad because that's the how. But the thing that opens the door all too often is human error. Mm -hmm. In many cases, including this one, 
The exploit of the vulnerabilities is only possible because an employee had an oopsie. Right. Let's move on in the timeline to where the real fun begins. Oh, this wasn't the real fun yet? So what do we have? We have an attacker who has complete control over Steve's computer. Steve, an IT person, has helpfully given out usernames and passwords to any number of systems. Right. And the attacker knows where those systems are. Thanks to that password list, they can demolish the on-site systems, but they've also got another target, Steve's company's AWS environment. Ooh. As the malware crawled the local network, the attacker manually went after the cloud. So this is something that we have seen. A lot of the attacks on-prem are so historically standardized and prevalent and script-kidified right. that you don't need a human to type commands. You can just run any number of scripts and let it happen, whereas things online in the cloud are a little bit more custom and a little bit harder to script, not least because AWS changes how their knobs and dials work every 15 seconds. It's true. Though that is quickly becoming less an issue. I, I mean, the, the script kitty side of it, not AWS changing things. They, they change things. Uh, but let me, let me make a guess here because I've worked with other IT people, especially in... I'm guessing this wasn't the largest shop. We won't say how big or small. But in my experience, there's always too many people who are domain admins in a given organization. and all of those people use their domain admin credentials locally to do things. Unfortunately, you couldn't be more right. Damn it. So not only does the attacker have the full list of systems, they have domain admin credentials that they can scrape from his local credential manager on his desktop. Not could. And there goes your entire AD environment. There you have it. Hooray! Short, short version of what happened. The only <laughs> thing that you missed was the local file servers. Also easy targets. Well, yeah, they're part of AD. The, the, exactly. As soon as you have domain admin credentials, as long as anything's joined to the domain, you have full control over it. Correct. Mm -hmm. Now, that was part one, and that's bad. Not great. Part two is what happened in the cloud, and that was kind of interesting. And... I'm gonna, at the end of this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain what happened here. And generally, what happened is security completely by accident. <laughs> Fair enough. So the environment in the cloud was pretty simplistic in its setup. They were not very far down the cloud journey. Um, the account that Steve had in his, uh, I'm going to use password manager in gigantic air quotes, right. had access but he was only able to do things like list and read. He couldn't destroy anything. He couldn't create anything. Um, nothing was able to be deleted, but the data was able to be downloaded, mm -hmm. which is still fine for any number of companies. The attacker tried to go after all the standard things, creating new shadow accounts, uh, going after and deleting versioning, um, all of which failed. Uh, the attacker also tried to delete logs in CloudTrail, which also failed. Yeah, it's pretty hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of the point. <laughs> so 
they were not able to delete anything, but they did get the data and they did send the ransom that said, basically, if you want this data to stay private, pay us XYZ, all the usual things that came from that. So security in depth concepts that would have helped in this part. And this is one that I probably should have said at every single stage, but have you heard me say the phrase MFA yet? I feel like it came up once, but you could say it again. Yeah, I was talking about that degree I got before I got serious about technology. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're joking or not. Sculpture's making a comeback, man. <sighs> Number two, east-west traffic was permitted with any without any reauthentication requirements. Now, this is sadly far too common. Um, this is also a bedrock concept of zero trust. Steve's workstation was the one logging into the on-prem servers, so it was trusted implicitly. Mm -hmm. As you can tell, <laughs> this was a mistake. And again, we could go into microsegmentation and all the details of how to do this type of thing. But the point is, there should have been some kind of a technological question asked every single time a login happened. Right. And that simply didn't occur. Backups on-prem were not immutable. When I say that the on-prem environment was a disaster, I mean it. <laughs> Everything that they could find, the attackers could find, was exfiltrated and then destroyed. And I mean thrashed on site. Oh. This company legitimately could have gone out of business because of this data loss. Because as you know, data is the lifeblood of any modern organization. Yes, very much so. Now, the company didn't go out of business for one hilarious reason that I don't want to talk about on mic. <laughs> Fair enough. It's just a fair reminder why backups must be considered part of the security process too. Right. Right. And now, if you go through defense in depth, obviously, we're starting at the user level, going down the, the, the timeline, getting all the way to the center of this company, which is the data. If we're talking about having to protect backups, Things have gotten real bad. But again, this is why so many different layers are necessary and important to have. Right. And it's also why taking care of backups as though none of those other things existed is important too. Right. Because eventually, especially in a ransomware type attack, you're going to get to the backups at some point. And it's probably good if they aren't also erased or encrypted by the ransomware. So finally, storing logs in AWS was great. And the fact that Steve's accounts didn't have any access to delete them was awesome. I'll tell you in just a second why that was the case. But it's important to note that a, another thing that we can and should do in Defense in Depth is monitor and alert based on those logs. Mm -hmm. Remember, CloudTrail is expensive, sure but it can also see absolutely everything that happens within AWS. Probably not an equivalent product that can do that in that environment. Why not, if you're using it, take advantage of that to its fullest? Mm -hmm. One simple way would be to set up alerts for when data type events happen. Things like downloading an entire S3 bucket, for example, or attempts to disable S3 versioning. Very simple to set up. You could very quickly turn them into 100 decibel klaxon level situations. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And the last thing is the separation of duties and accounts using roles and not assigning permanent permissions, which this customer did by accident. Because you know what happened? I can't say I do. Remember I said that this customer was very early in their cloud journey. Mm -hmm. They made a mistake that a lot of companies going very early in their cloud journey make, which is everything was set up using the root account. Steve did not have access to the root account. So when I say security by accident, (laughs) this is what I meant. If he had had access to that root account, the whole AWS environment would have been wiped too. Exactly. Which again, you would hope they have MFA on that root account. I think you I think you have to now. I don't think you can possibly have a root account at this point and not have MFA enabled on it. Right. I believe that is correct. And I also believe that you can set up two two-factor authentication. Right. Which is also awesome, which is, you know... Um, not Hunt for Red October, Crimson Tide, where the two guys have to go in and turn the key at the same time. I think that was Superman 3, but I'll allow it. <laughs> it's only ever happened in one movie ever, Ned. <laughs> yeah. Also so, in Stargate like four times. <laughs> so, I mean, like I said, I'll stop there because we're running up to our time limit. But you kind of, I think you get the idea. Yes, Adding additional security at any of these stages could have prevented the attack or prevented it from expanding out from from where it was. The fact that they weren't willing to spend the money to add these defense in depth features is what allowed the attack to be as big as it was. And I'm sure the cleanup effort was not inexpensive. Right. So. The next thing that happens is you have to have a conversation with yourself as a business to say, what's the value of security versus the danger or the risk of this type of a breach happening? And what kind of mathematics can we do to make that make sense? Mm -hmm. And that gets us into risk management, which could legitimately be its own episode. (laughs) But I wanted (laughs) to do just the first, most simplistic way of doing this. From the data that I've been using is a a fantastic report that has been around since I think 2007, which is the Verizon Data Breach Investigations Report. Using the 2022 version, which came out in, I think, July, Mm -hmm. we know that 18% of data breaches involve a phishing attack similar to the one that I described. Mm -hmm. And the average cost of a data breach is around $3.5 million in global aggregate. So. Very simple math. This means that the potential cost of any single data breach by phishing could be described to be worth $630,000. 3.5 million times 18% chance of it happening. The risk valuation is $630,000. Okay. So you could make the case that spending anything less than that would be considered profitable from a risk management perspective. So if your security policy costs, uh, your security practice, I should say, costs $629,999 a year, you're okay. Right. Now, like I said, this is a simplistic way of doing it, sure. but this is the short, short version of how all risk is evaluated, 
We could go into the detailed stuff like SLE and ALE and any number of other risk management models, but frankly, even Leo's calculator fell asleep. As it is prone to do. Now, the other side of this is the cost of the breach, should it happen, 3.5 million globally in aggregate, pretty substantial, which could have ended the life of any number of small to medium businesses. Mm-hmm. Now, Steve's company did have cyber insurance, but even with insurance, which I have to remind people is getting harder and harder and more expensive to get, if your data is gone, it doesn't matter that the insurance company cut you a check. You might be done anyway. Right. You have enough to pay out some severances. Exactly. Um, you can't put a price tag on reputation, for example, which is why I'm not allowed back in the Caldor anymore. Understood. Yeah. So long story short, too late. This is kind of all this stuff added together is why defense in depth is the essential way to go about it. Many layers of security means that if one happens to be breached or fail for whatever reason, there are layers of security behind it. Steve's company had the old model. They had a firewall and they had a small staff of IT pros who were quote unquote good. Humans, though, make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And there is no such thing as a security measure that is 100% foolproof 100% of the time. The bad guys will always evolve, and users are always going to want to download and install Flux from that sketchy website that their cousin said was totally cool. I, cousin Joe has never steered me wrong. Is that he before was or after he got out of prison? Listen... Okay, he was he was wrong about the the shrimp business he was trying to get me involved in, but fortunately, I had already lost all my money in the previous uh, dachshund breeding thing that he was doing, so I didn't have anything to invest in the shrimp. Call that a happy accident. <laughs> it's all about happy accidents, apparently. <laughs> all right, lightning round. I think we must. Well, we shall. We Ooh, have to. Good. And and we're going to talk about insurance. So yeah. everybody's immediately asleep. <laughs> if they weren't already. Nap time with the boys. All right. Cloud outage insurance is a real thing. You should probably have. Remember how I predicted that cloud outages would become more frequent and no one would really care? I totally did. And I was correct about the first half. But it turns out some people might care more than I thought at least about cloud-based services that sit near anything financial or healthcare related. There's a new company called Parametrics, which is spelled not like it sounds because company names. Parametrics Insurance is looking to provide financial protection for companies that are impacted by a cloud outage that lasts up to 24 hours, after which your typical cyber insurance tends to kick in. Since most cloud outages are resolved in far less than 24 hours, existing insurance often doesn't cover the financial cost incurred by a policyholder. Parametrics has set up their own monitoring system to track outages across all the major public clouds and their services, and it automatically flags outages that impact their customers. The policyholders are reimbursed within 15 days after an outage occurs, and it seems like the whole thing happens kind of automatically. The policies aren't cheap, though. Starting at $100,000 a year and quickly going up into the tens of millions. 
So this might not be a good fit for your aunt's flower shop. Parametrics is only the first of what I'm sure will be several companies getting into this market segment. So listen, if you're too lazy to architect, architect your application to survive a cloud outage, I guess you now have an easy way out. Slacker. Easy way out. That's the best way out. <laughs> Microsoft to change functionality of print screen button to just open the snipping tool. Following the famous tech adage of, if it ain't broke, let's go ahead and fix it. Microsoft's latest preview release of Windows 11 is changing the 25-odd year history of the functionality of hitting print screen. In the olden days, hitting that weird button that nobody knows why it's there in the first place would take a screenshot of the entire screen and save it to the clipboard. Next release, this could be changed to simply bring up the snipping tool menu. Now, to be fair, I haven't used this new mapping yet, and it's definitely true that Microsoft has historically been terrible at screenshots, <laughs> which is why for at least 20 years, the way to get good screenshots on Windows has always been install Program X instead. Popular enough that I guarantee everyone listening is thinking of at least one program they've recommended at some point. Mm -hmm. Now, the snipping tool has gotten decent over the past few years, and I'm sure that nobody knows that it's there, or maybe they don't know its full potential. So this key mapping change could be a positive. But based on the fact that it's different has made the internet decide that it is in fact a negative. You know, I had to check my keyboard to see if I even have a print screen button. I do. It shares the sysric function, which I truly have no idea what that does. I think it calls Rick. Right. Who calls Joe? Who calls Leo? That's how it works. Bard AI sings a song of misery and woe. Does that make chat GPT Juliet or Romeo? Or maybe Tybalt? Who knows? Ars Technica has put together a collection of reports regarding advertising company Google and their mad dash to get Bard out of the door. Seems as though the surprise success of ChatGPT really caught the old Goog off guard. And that led to a code red situation, a phrase which may or may not have actually been uttered by Sundar Pichai. This uh, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead stance has landed Bard on some rocky ethical shores with nary an ethical advisor to help them. From the very public firing of Timnit Gebru and Margaret Mitchell to the defection of Sammy Bengio, the cadre of ethics AI researchers at advertising company Google has dwindled down to basically nothing. Meanwhile, anyone working on a Bard-related project is being actively told to ignore the ethics questions and keep doing, quote, real work. Has that real work resulted in a product that is at all competitive with ChatGPT? which is also not really known for its accurate information or responsible disclosure. Why no? <laughs> no, it hasn't. And that's because advertising company Google is not actually good at making things. They're good at selling ads. Cold fusion. Wait, no. Uh, sodium ion batteries. Set yes. to make it to production soon. <laughs> ah, lithium. Great song. Really good element to use in batteries, too except hmm. for the whole massive scarcity problem. 
The industry has been working feverishly to replace lithium as a power storage ingredient for decades, and it seems that enough progress has been made that can, we can even swap out the word soon with an actual date. Oh. To wit, battery manufacturer CATL, which I really hope is pronounced cattle, announced a 200 watt per kilogram battery that will be ready for large scale production this year. Not only that, they announced this week at the Shanghai Auto Show that the battery will be installed and sold in the Sherry iCar line by the end of 2023. Now, iCar is a new quasi-independent brand of the Chinese-based Sherry manufacturing company, kind of like Scion was for Toyota. Toyota? Toyota? What's a car? (laughs) There are at least six car types in the iCar brand that can and will benefit from this new battery, which, while not initially more efficient than lithium-based batteries, is far easier to produce on both workers and on the environment. It's also far cheaper. Estimates put lithium costs at $80,000 per ton to mine and produce, compared to its sodium equivalent at, drumroll please, 300 bucks. Wow. Okay, slightly different. Used routers provide a path to company secrets. Path, route, you get it, right? Leo, Listen, kill. It's, it's early on, <laughs> and I'm only on my second cup of coffee, but even in my caffeine-deprived state, I know enough to wipe the data on all my electronics that I might put up for sale. Sadly... The same cannot be said of most companies. Security firm ESET decided to see what folks were leaving behind on their network gear. They purchased 18 used routers from eBay and cracked them open. Fully half of the routers had not been wiped or encrypted in any way, with VPN credentials and unhashed root passwords just hanging out in the open for anyone with a console cable to see. Two of the devices were at least encrypted, but not wiped. And five were actually properly wiped. Also, on the unwiped devices were router-to-router authentication keys, network connection credentials for other companies, and customer data. This is a freaking goldmine for any cyber criminal or would-be hacker. You're literally being handed the keys to the castle, and in some cases, the keys to partner castles as well. In one case, the researcher had remote access credentials to a major accounting firm, not because the device was originally from that firm, but because it was from a partner who was connecting via a site-to-site VPN. This is just the laziest kind of security lapse, as wiping a device is not exactly a difficult process. I suspect in many cases, the effort to resell was not spearheaded by the networking or the security team, but instead was an effort by someone else in the company to save a few dollars. And it will, until they get sued into oblivion for corporate negligence. Facebook settles privacy violation class action lawsuit for $725 million. Doesn't seem like enough. Not nearly. A class action suit that covers users of Facebook through the preposterous time frame of May 2007 through December 2022 so has all of finally y'all. settled. That's basically everyone ever. 
The lawsuit originated with Facebook's gross negligence regarding the Cambridge Analytica quote-unquote breach back in 2018, where, if you'll recall, in total violation of their terms of service, Facebook basically handed over all of their data on at least 87 million users just because. The settlement understandably covers basically everyone who's ever had a Facebook account, and you're eligible to get your share too. Simple to do. Make a claim before August 25th, 2023 at facebookuserprivacysettlement.com. Confirm your usage during the aforementioned decades and sit back and wait 18 months for your $4.14 to show up in your mailbox. Because you're worth it. Daddy's going to Sizzler. Hey, thanks for listening or something. I guess you found it worthwhile enough if you made it all the way to the end. So congratulations to you, friend. You accomplished something today. Now you can go sit on the couch, watch some hockey, and contemplate the fact that the song Lithium came out nearly 31 years ago. (sighs) For the rest of the day. You've earned it. You can find me or Chris on Twitter at Ned1313 and at Hainer80, respectively, or follow the show at Chaos underscore Lever if that's the kind of thing that you're into. Show notes are available at ChaosLever.com, as is the sign-up for our newsletter. If you like reading things, you can get that there. We'll be, na- we'll be back next week to see what fresh hell is upon us. Ta-ta for now. Did you ever even get any money back from the Equifax thing? No, was that an option? Because I haven't been to Sizzler in forever, and I really want to go. <laughs> well, with the money that I got back from it, you could buy a napkin. Or go to the Golden Corral. It's not as expensive, but it's still okay. <laughs>